It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. August 13th, 2010. Frankel wins for the first time at Newmarket, beginning an incredible run of 14 wins. All great streaks start somewhere, so start your own with Betfair's free bet streak. Simply bet £20 on the Betfair exchange and get a £5 free bet. With each free bet you win, you'll get another. It's that simple. Free bet streak from Betfair. Weekly opt-in, back or exchange bets, place Monday to Sunday. Minimum odds of £1.55 free bet awarded at Bet Settlement. Valid for 72 hours. T's and C's supply. 18 plus. Be The final Furlong podcast is proudly brought to you by attheraces.com, your ultimate resource for finding winners. Welcome along to a bonus edition of the Final Furlong podcast, stateside special. I'm Emerson Kennedy, joined by At The Races pundit and good friend, Mr. Peter Fornital. How are you? I almost missed my cue there. I don't know how I missed my cue on the intro, but I, but I did. Maybe you can tighten that up in editing. <laughs> so for, for everybody listening, there wasn't really a gap. But in real life, there was like a 10 second gap there. I was like, how, we were just talking. How did he, how did Peter drop away? I was waiting for the, how are you, my man? Or something like that, you know, as, as a host, I, I was just, I was thinking it was coming and then I realized it wasn't. And, and basically I need another cup of coffee. It's a busy week around here with all these great ones in Saratoga. Oh, the same for me, man. I've got caffeine loaded up by the barrel load here, right in front of me in the, in the studio. Um, the reason we decided to do a, a standalone episode of, of the American discussion is because there's so much to talk about in America right now. It's, it's kind of crazy. Trump. Portland, Ellen getting cancelled, <laughs> James Corden replaces Ellen, then he gets cancelled because he's a jerk too. Uh, oh, wait, no, we're talking about Arlington, aren't we? Sorry. Yeah. So, so it's mad. Like America is <laughs> mad right now. There's a yeah, please don't make me talk about any of those things unrelated <laughs> to racing. I may just start weeping openly about the state of our, of our, of our land here. But uh, the racing still puts a smile on my face and, we, and we've got some good stuff happening. Yeah, some really good stuff. And, and we'll build to that. But we need to deal with the dark side of it, first of all, because genuinely Arlington is one of my favorite race courses in the world. Um, I, I love the Arlington Million meeting. You broke the news on the podcast a few months ago that the Arlington Million was gone this year, that it wasn't going to happen. And you also uh, you were suggesting that there was a problem there. That, that things were not looking good. But even when you gave that warning, I had no idea how stark the times really were for Arlington. And now it's gone. Arlington Park is no more. And Chicago has lost its, its premier race course. How did this happen? Well, it's, we're not quite there yet. That is the way it is going. Uh, there is racing at Arlington right now. But basically, the parent company, Churchill Downs, they're very famous. Uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, a, a new partner 
on my podcast endeavors. I'm doing some work with the folks at CDI. That's what I like to hear. Get that gravy, Peter. Get that gravy. I I don't think I'm saying anything that anybody doesn't know who follows these things that they, you know, they're, they're publicly held company and they, they feel obligations to their shareholders over any obligations to the sport of racing. And it, and I'm not an expert on Arlington exactly, but it does seem like they've decided not unlike with uh, Hollywood park before them, that this land to potentially be developed is going to be a lot worth a lot more than as a, than as a racing property. And they've got other properties in the Midwest uh, and it looks like they're going to be selling this off. And unless something unpredictable happens and, and racing interests are somehow able to, to compete with the developmental interests and be able to, to make an offer that that's competitive. It, it does seem like Arlington is, isn't going to be racing anymore. And it's just t- a terrible loss, obviously for, for American racing, because this is a place where we've seen so much history over the years and annually like you, Emmett, I find that Arlington million meeting to be one of my favorites and have had just so many great memories, some scary memories too. uh, some of the things that have gone on down there. Storming Uh, home. I'll I'll miss it. I'll miss it terribly if it ends up that this is the end for, for Arlington. It's still a little bit of a moving target in terms of no, no sale has been made, but the the intention has been stated and it doesn't look good for the future of racing um, at that storied Chicago venue. And I think everybody involved is going to be feeling the, feeling the loss if you're a racing fan. So probably slightly jumped the gun there with my comments, but that is the feeling though in America, like the feeling within the US press and your colleagues in in the media rooms, virtually obviously because of social distancing, is that it's done. And this all comes from a quarterly earnings call where the CEO said the long-term solution is not Arlington Park. And they've talked about the license is going to go and they're going to sell the land. When Kempton was being flouted for, for similar things that they were going to sell that and uh, the racing, the King George would move to Sandown and it was all going to be redeveloped. There was uproar. And, and I was one of the people very much against that. Whatever about attendances to the race course, it's the prestige of the King George and and St. Stephen's Day and Boxing Day and that race meeting being there and the Christmas hurdle. And there's obviously other massive races that take place at Kempton as well, but also it's a city track. It's London. So if you properly promote it and if you work it well, you can get race scores there and you can you can build the brand even more if you properly properly utilize what you have. Kempton has been saved. Uh, Chicago and and racing is it's a famous history. For this to go, like what is the reaction from fans? What's the reaction from your colleagues? What what is you've already said that that you're gonna miss it, but what is the the on the ground reaction? I'd love to talk to some of my friends in Illinois about this because I have a lot of friends who really um, Illinois racing is their thing. And I, I've been so busy dealing with things up here that I haven't done a good call around. There, there will be much eulogizing if this in fact does come to pass, but the few people I've talked to, I, I mean, I, I've seen uh, blind rage, I think would be the best way to describe it. But I mean, these, you know, from, from a friend who grew up in Chicago and his, his connection to the sport has grown to include his house in Saratoga, but he grew up going with his dad to Arlington and people, um, 
people aren't going to be, uh, they're not going to be happy about it, but it's, it's not going to, it's not going to turn them off the sport forever or anything, but it's very much like you start to see the racing fans are, are we're, we're such a, a, a unique, not unique. We're such a tiny uh, piece of the market in the sports landscape in the United States. We're almost like a cult. And you compare that and you think about Major League Baseball and American football, and you can see how some of these owners, I'm not in favor of publicly funded sports stadia. I do not like the idea of billionaires getting sports fans, the average people, workers, to to finance their, uh, their grounds essentially through taxation it doesn't seem right to me but this is kind of how they get away with it when you see the emotional reaction people have when one of these things does go away you can see how these uh, billionaire owners in other sports are able to say to the fans well tell you what unless we can get this bill approved to get some public money uh we're gonna move to seattle or wherever whatever nothing gets seattle whatever whatever other city is available and and you can see the deep connections we have to the sporting venues where we were weaned on these great games that make up uh, such an important fabric of our life and help us uh, go from from year to year and, and, and count out our, our, our lives and give us so much joy. It's it's a tremendous loss when one when one goes away. Um, and it's not going to be easy to get over for a lot of people if that's the way it goes. I don't know. I, I, I want to hope against hope that like Kempton, I mean, the Kempton story was reported as a done deal. Yeah, and it as was. you pointed out, that, yeah, there's a, that, that was worked out. So perhaps there's some way to develop land around but somehow keep a racing presence i don't know maybe i'm just hoping against hope but i'm, I'm not quite willing to uh, to give up the idea just yet that they'll be racing there but it, it doesn't look good at the moment and there is the culture that you've alluded to and you could you can look at the saint louis rams you know they were gone to to la um franchises get picked up and moved that that happens in america it's it would be an alien concept to us like there was uproar when wimbledon oh, milton Keynes. Yeah, yeah there we've both said it at the same time uh, good luck for us hopefully but like, there was absolute uproar over that and there still isn't and, and rightly so by the way uh but it's it's not something that we really have to deal with here so when you have a, a racetrack like arlington that has such a rich history and it, even off the top of my head i mentioned storming home already so that that race was won by Suleimani. I still remember Said bin Sarur being interviewed about being congratulated on winning the race. And then the tannoy goes and is, it's telling the fans that uh, Storming Home has been thrown out and that Suleimani has been given the race. And the crowd boos. The Chicago crowd goes nuts. And Said bin Sarur is trying to talk to NBC and says, boo! <laughs> and, and, and that's the, the passion of the American fans. But that, that race was wild. Uh, Jamie Spencer losing the race on Powers Court a year later. The, the jockey in second celebrating winning the race, which just looked so bizarre to me as well, because as, a, as an Irish and UK horse racing fan getting used to the American rules. Uh, and then a year later, Kieran Fallon comes over and Powers Court gets his revenge. Uh, and Spencer would get his revenge a few years later as well for Aidan O'Brien in that race. It's, it's had such a rich history of international raiders. It's had such a rich history for uh, for big-name trainers to go and target. The idea that that's going to be gone now just seems so weird. Yeah, I, the idea of moving it doesn't, it doesn't feel right, but maybe 
maybe would be the half measure solution we're going to have to deal with. It, it's uh, obviously that meeting in recent years has turned into a little bit of a benefit for, for Chad Brown. Mm. And I, I get the idea of wanting to do something. Uh, I get the idea of this year not having had it for the idea of, of tr- trying to get local horsemen a, a chance to get a bit more of, of a piece of the pie. But there's no doubt about it. That, that, that day is great and should live. The idea of a midsummer turf festival, Breeders' Cup, prep it it deserves a place on the calendar and if not arlington i think that concept uh, and perhaps even name can live on somewhere else but again i'm not fully willing to give up yet that we can't uh, somehow pull a rabbit out of a hat here but again just just not not looking like the way it's going to go before we leave arlington though i do after uh, talking about the history of it john henry legendary uh usa runner winning the first ever edition of it is another one that should just get name checked along with some of those others well said well said uh is there a fear that this could spread that other tracks are in danger as well I think one of the lessons we saw in the pandemic with horse racing is the benefits of consolidation. And it's it's an awkward topic because I don't like positing a world that's ultimately a better world for the the, the sport and the horsemen who who are allowed to have their their jobs continue. I, you know, I, I don't want to be the guy who ever tells somebody they, they can't do their job anymore. But from a purely economic point of view, you know, we were down to whatever it was, four tracks, fewer at points during the pandemic. And grant, granted, it's a tough equation because there were other sports going on, but you saw the overall handle diminish only something like 7%. It's not hard to conceive that it would be better for fans and the sport of racing to have less racing and have it be staged more um, strategically, shall we say. It doesn't make sense that every track runs its best races between four and eight on a Saturday. And we've seen some of the pandemic lessons be applied by the likes of Lone Star Park, now running cards Sunday through Wednesday. And it's great as a racing fan. I have good racing to watch seven days a week. And it's not doesn't take that much imagination to envision a world where you had sort of a minor, a major mid-level and, and minor circuits coordinated and that the, the betting handle could actually uh, would, I believe, go up under such a, a circumstance and it would be an easier sport to market and follow. Now, this is a pipe dream in that it requires there's no governing body here. It's all every state controls its own racing and getting them to work together, you know, better luck with, with the Arabs and and Israelis. But it it is, it is a world that I can, I can envision. But again, even if, if, even if I were made the the boss tomorrow, I'd hate to have to decide which tracks could no longer, uh, which tracks could no longer operate or which, which horsemen could no longer breed horses or whatever. It's very, some very like un-American ideas get tossed around in here. But if you were just doing this as a mind experiment as a thought experiment i I think racing would be better off uh, with some consolidation of course arlington park would never be the place that uh, that i'd want to start with uh with with getting rid of in in any case let's move on to happier thoughts saratoga and in this weird and wonderful world the traverse stakes takes place before the kentucky derby 
And Tis the Law is a horse that we've talked about quite a bit on the show. And here in Ireland and the UK, he's seven to four on. The best price is eight to 11 about him. Uh, you've talked about him a lot on the podcast. He's a horse that you like an awful lot. Does he deserve to be such a short price going into the Travers? I mean, that's probably short enough. He deserves, he's more than 50% to win the race. I will say that. If there was odds against the bout, I would, I would hoover it up. But I mean, that's, um, that's a little intense when you've got a, a rival like Bob Baffert's Uncle Chuck, who looks truly like you could be any kind in, in amongst and against him. So you've got whatever Uncle Chuck's chance is and then whatever the long shot's chances are. I'm not going to – I wouldn't be laying that, but I wouldn't be in a hurry to be cutting in line and, and backing it either. If forced to give a top pick even at current prices – I'd, I'd be very much torn between Tis the Law's number and Uncle Chuck. And what I'm guessing Uncle Chuck's number is, what are you, what are you seeing him at right now? 11 to 4 about Uncle Chuck. And the best price you can get about Tis the Law is 8 to 11, but he's generally 4 to 7. Yeah, I mean, at those numbers, it's it becomes a real jump ball. It, it's one of those things where my punter hat and my pundit hat, it depends which one I'm wearing. Because for my pundit hat, I've been with Tis the Law the whole time. So unless you tell me the numbers, something insane, like totally insane, like two to five, I'm tempted to just stick with my guns. I've been touting Tis the Law since he won his first race. <laughs> you know, we sat down over at the Brentwood Hotel in Saratoga with Maggie Wolfendale, the Naira Paddock analyst last year, and talked about two-year-olds who impressed her the most. And Tis the Law was at the top of the list. So I mean, we've, been, we've been talking about him since his very first race. It, it feels almost churlish. To, to get off him now as long as the price isn't comically bad. But if I didn't have that that baggage of having talked about this horse for a year as a potential Kentucky Derby Travers horse, just looking at the raw math, Uncle Chuck's the better bet at those two prices. I'll, I'll be honest with you. And, and, and I say this fully realizing I'm, I'm probably not going to pick him, but, but for the, I know you have a lot of uh, serious punter listeners and – uh, that 11 to four is, is rock solid price. He'll be shorter on the USA tote come Saturday. Whereas I think Tis the law will be around that price or even possibly a tick higher. You know, I, I could see a full on four to five, um, when the time comes. So we'll have to see, uh, we'll see what they, what they do in the, in the betting markets internationally and on the USA tote. But I mean, I'm with apologies for being uncreative. I mean, they're really, the only two I can see winning this race. The the other cases I'd make would just be the kind of case where it's like, well, it's racing and anything can happen. And that's not the kind of analysis I like to give. I like to talk about things I think are going to happen, not just deal with the full universe of possibilities. And in the realistic world, it really feels to me like it's Uncle Chuck and it's Tis the Law. And then there's everybody else. I, I will give a quick shout out for Max Player, uh, a horse who's very cool and I think will be suited by the mile and a quarter and should be running late. But I, I just feel like for him to beat those two, you'd need the type of meltdown that I don't see happening pace-wise in terms of this race. But uh, that those would be those will be the three that I end up mentioning in my various uh, videos and, and columns. And, uh, and that's how I see it. It's going to be a fascinating year this year's Travers, also with the angle that it is an important prep race for the Derby. Yeah, and it's just so weird that that's the way it's going to work out. So Uncle Chuck for the Burger King himself, the maestro, <laughs> Mr. 
I got a superstar, Baffert. Uh, and we'll have to see how Bob Baffert gets on. Uh, nice to see the rapper Nelly having a runner. Country grammar. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist it. I couldn't resist it. Uh, right with me. Brilliant tune from back in the day. Um, look, you've, you've been all over Tis the Law for, as you said, since the start of the year on the Final Forum podcast. And uh, he's already a very short price. Like he's odds on with one firm for the Kentucky Derby. He's 11 to eight is the top price you can get in the UK and Ireland about him. And we'll see on Saturday. It'll be live on Sky Sports Racing. Uh, it's going to be an interesting race. I, I guess the, the simplest way of breaking this down is you are with, with Tis the Law. If you wanted to have a bet right now, take Uncle Chuck. And when you're next asked this question, who's going to win the Traverse Stakes? Your answer will be, well, in my opinion, <laughs> racing. Racing wins. <laughs> yes, proper fence-sitting. Like a proper fence-sitting job. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll steal that line for sure. It's just so tough. You know, there's, there's always this push and pull in punditry between being selection-oriented, what's the most likely thing to happen, and being value-oriented. Where is there a rick between the percentage of something happening and what the price is? And, and that's where it gets very, very tough. Usually I, I lean on being very selection-oriented and will we'll give up a point in the odds to, to pick the horse that is my horse who I think is going to win. But this is a weird one where, where that horse for me at current odds is, is just a tick too short into the teeth of this Uncle Chuck who not only has, you know, he's only run twice, but he's got terrific speed figures. And, and don't discount the fact that he absolutely demolished thousand words who then went on to the shared belief at Del Mar and beat Honor AP, who was second in the betting before that for the Kentucky Derby. So, so this is this is serious form and figures for a horse who's only run twice. And we've seen before what Baffert can do with uh, with Justify, uh, with a lightly raced horse doing things you're not supposed to be able to do in your third career start. Um, Uncle Chuck fit, has a similar profile. And speaking of Mr. Burger King himself, I do have to put in a little plug for my co friend and colleague, Jonathan Kinchin's JK Plus One podcast on the In The Money Network. Sat down with Bob for two and a half hours this week. Nice. And it's they have a, a rapport, and it's it's an interview with him unlike any I've ever heard. Really uh, fun and interesting listeners out there. If you like American racing, you presumably do because you're still listening when I'm on, and, and I would I would suggest that you check that out. You may want to investigate the 1.5 times speed option for the show just because of the time that it takes, but there's a lot of great info in there. Oh, God, that's happened to, to listeners before. It's happened to me, uh, where I've been listening to How Did This Get Made or Football Weekly going, why are they sounding like they're on helium? Why are they talking so far? Oh, I've hit the 1.5 button by mistake. <laughs> that that has happened to us as well. Um, take me to the, the two early races. So we'll start with that race, 11.15 our time on Sky Sports Racing from Saratoga, the Traverse Stakes. That's going to be a fascinating race, particularly leading up to the Kentucky Derby and indeed for the Classic as well. It's a must-see race. The Ballerina Stakes, the grade one handicap for uh, three-year-old fillies and mares on the main track over seven furlongs. Uh, Phil is in on this one. There, there's some very interesting storylines in this race. Is Serengeti Empress still the same horse she was when she ran so well up here in the test stakes, which I imagine we'll be talking about in a bit mm -hmm. last year? She ended up just losing to Kafefi in that one, but, but it was really one of her 
best races ever, really on par, uh, in my view, with her amazing run in the Kentucky Oaks, if not a little bit better in figure terms. But the last two days, uh, she hasn't been the same horse. Now, granted, getting the cut back today, maybe she's just been running uh, a little bit too far at the mile and the 16th and the mile and an eighth of the last two starts. Maybe the seven furlongs hits her between the eyes. She can break, get away from there, and go on with it. Definitely a scenario that, that I could see happening. And then you also have the question surrounding Bellafina. Bellafina, who's got fantastic past races. But when you look at her overall form, this is where it gets tricky because in California, her native California, I shouldn't say native, her, her home base of California, 12 for 12 in the forecast. And out of California has run four times and never run in the top two. Ooh. I'm going to go ahead. It's so, yeah, it's a little interesting. Can she, she just, you know, does she really just love that home cooking? I think she's going to get an absolutely great trip. I trust Simon Callahan to be making the right decisions. I'm going to go with Bellafina in this race, which I think uh, fans of Come Dancing may disagree with me, but I, it feels like it's supposed to play out like a match between these two rivals. Uh, I'm going to give narrow preference to Bellafina. Come Dancing is worth just another quick mention just because she has, looks like she may be coming back into form and has done her best running locally at Saratoga. She won the ballerina last year and, and is certainly deserving of consideration. But I'm going to hope that the narrative about Bellafina and her inability to ship gets a, a piece of the market and, and gives us a little bit of juice and lets us bet this one who should really get a great trip against Serengeti Empress and the rest in this year's ballerina. Uh, Bellafina is currently two to one. You can get the full race card for Saratoga at theraces.com for Saturday. You can see that race at 8.42. The last race we'll talk about then is the, the build-up to the Travers, the 10.39. Our time again live on Sky Sports Racing. It's the Longines Test Stakes, which was just mentioned uh, by Pete. And the favourite, Red Hot, is Gamine. We go with that. Gamine, yes, Gamine, that's it. I actually, you mean I got it right? Oh my God, I'm having, <laughs> I'm having heart got palpitations. I pronounced the name correctly at the first go. Uh, Gamine, <laughs> Venetian Harbor, 11 to four, and uh, Mrs. Danvers then uh, leads the outsiders way up in big prices, 16.0, uh, 17.0 in fact, and 33s and beyond for the rest of them. Is it all about Gammy? Gamine? I think she is going to have a much tougher test today than she did the last day. I, I make, I keep making that pun accidentally, but it, it it's true. It's not, it's going to be a lot harder. I do feel like as good as the last race was, and it was brilliant that uh, she did not only, um, able to totally control the race, but I do think it was a track that was exaggerating the margins of front running scores. And I think Venetian Harbor, another one here who, uh, had looked brilliant earlier, now cutting back in distance. I don't think she's going to make this very easy on Gamine. I wish there were eight runners in this race, and then I would give you my no doubt about it. I absolutely love Mrs. Danvers to hit the frame. Uh, in, in a non-each-way situation, I'm going to change it up a little bit, and I will take a little bit of a flyer with Mrs. Danvers, who I just feel like, make no mistake, on paper she's not fast enough. But this is a uh, th this is a three year old who's slowly improving in the hands of a trainer who can get them to peak in 
big grade one races in Shugmagehi. And I just think she's going to have the kind of setup, the kind of pace situation she's never seen before. She's never had the advantage of them going too fast up in front of her and being able to, to make one run and have her run through the lane, take them, take them past them all. I think she might get optimal conditions to run her best race here. Will she pass both Gamine and Venetian Harbor? It's no certainty. It's, it's not even all that likely, but I do think at, you know, 15.0, 17.0, it's a chance that is worth taking. And you can always use USA style exotics to back her up in second and third with the likes of Gamine and Venetian Harbor, just depending on how this race plays out. We could whisper another who should be up there trying to show early speed. This one is a bit of a stretch, but at the price, I'm going to try Mrs. Danvers in this year's test stakes. If I was to ask you for the, the forecast, so the exacta, how would you play that? I would think, I mean, the way I would probably play it would be to have both Gamine and Venetian Harbor figuring they, in my scenario, they're tussling early and maybe one of them on the turn for home wins that fight, cracks the other and goes on with it. And then Mrs. Danvers is the one to come and pass the other tired horse late. So I could probably see making a wager where it's Mrs. Danvers to win and then both Gamine and Venetian Harbor over Mrs. Danvers. That's probably how I'd play it. Also for trifectas, this one is uh, another one that, you know, on figures is, is a real stretch, but this horse should be any price in the market. Up in smoke, I mm. think will be ridden to get third. Uh, but simply because the grade one would mean so much later on her pedigree page. I could see her being held up to make one run. If they go too fast early, I still like Mrs. Danvers to get the jump on her. She'll be positioned ahead, I would imagine. But I could see up in smoke plotting by whichever of Gamine and Venetian Harbor doesn't uh, with, you know, whichever one loses the pace battle could be gassed enough to run forth. It's conceivable. And at the kind of price you're going to have with a, with a, uh, Gamine, Mrs. Danvers up in smoke, or Venetian Harbor, Mrs. Danvers up in smoke. I mean, those are going to be combinations that, that pay an awful lot. And then I'll probably also have a tri-cast that has Gamine, Venetian Harbor with Gamine, Venetian Harbor with Mrs. Danvers. And that's probably how I'll try to play this year's test, see if we can, uh, see if we can make a little magic happen. But no matter what, I'm just really, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting prospect to see if Gamine can back up that effort last time against a serious pace rival in Venetian Harbor. Um, if she's left alone, she, Gamine's just going to roll. I mean, Gamine is clearly the most likely winner, but I, but I think there's some reasons to try to get a little bit clever in the way we bet this race. Well, you know, I love an exotic bet. So I'm all over the tricasts, the trifecta, the exactas, the forecasts, Gamine, Mrs. Danvers, up in smoke. If we did that and Venetia Harbor bombed out or the other way around, oh, dearie me. We definitely will be off to Dubai. Even with the quarantining, we'll still be off to Dubai. Uh, but we'll Gamine, bring our own pod. But bring I, our own air. We'll, we'll just go. We'll just go. We'll bring oxygen tanks and off we go uh, on Fly Emirates. Other airlines are available. Uh, maybe Gamine, Mrs. Danvers, Venetian Harbor. So if you just wanted to take a tilt like that. Uh, the race is live on Sky Sports Racing at 10.40, 10.39. Am I right in thinking that Mrs. Danvers is wearing the War Command Declaration of War colors? 
She should. It's Joe Allen. So yeah, uh, yeah. Joe the Joe Allen colors, which which were you know been on many a race course over the the last several decades. Uh, just an incredibly accomplished breeder in the USA and internationally. And I I think this one she just vibes to me like one of these horses that is going to put in a, a very good effort given the hand she's in and given the fact that she's never seen the, I think she's built for this kind of pace scenario and she gets it here on Saturday. Those prices are just too big. And I really should have been saying that Gamine is clearly going to win this race by 10 lengths because she costs $1.8 million as a two-year-old. And as you know, Peter, if a horse costs that much money, they'll win every single race they run in, except <laughs> except for their second when they completely bomb out or disqualified. Uh, but yes, uh, clearly she will be bolting up on Saturday. I do love an expensive horse. Uh, the final question for you, my friend, before you resume to your normal life is, in all of your years in broadcasting, have you ever heard a good story about Ellen. Ellen DeGeneres you're talking about. Has anybody ever said anything to you nice about her ever? I knew somebody who worked for her and she, she was tough, but I always thought it was that I always read it as that kind of thing where, you know, to be, to be, female to be a pioneer to be the the first sort of out female television personality like you needed to have like a really thick skin and not take any crap from anybody i i was surprised she's not a warm and fuzzy character but you know neither was david letterman Mm. um i i thought it kind of went with the and i think back to just the portrayal of talk show hosts in media whether you're talking about uh you know gary shandling show or all the way back to the, the king of comedy. I think that job, I mean, personally, like, I didn't, the last thing I thought I was going to be doing on the show today, Emmett, was coming on to defend Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> and I'll probably get canceled even just for saying these They're things. They're coming for you, man. <laughs> They're coming for you. The left is coming <laughs> <But> I, for you. <laughs> but I always thought that to, to be that on, and, and look, even in our jobs, I think we feel it sometimes. Like to be, when you're, when you're that on, sometimes... You know, you're not. It's it's a little bit like a stick of butter, right? Like you're cutting off pieces of the of the stick of butter to to be positive and to have good energy and to just be on all the time. And the idea that you wouldn't be on for your staff, like, I mean, isn't that what the money is for? I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe. <laughs> I haven't also read all the stories. Hopefully there's nothing too awful that I've missed. In oh, these it's days. bad. But, oh, it's bad. But, okay. Okay. But I, I will, I will do that. So, so let me, let me just get out ahead of myself and say, I don't know what I'm talking about here I, about this situation. I'm just talking generally about the idea of talk show hosts being on versus off. It doesn't surprise me that, that they would have a dark side. And we've seen this in many real and fictional hosts over the years. But I guess I guess this became a, a bridge too far in your perspective. Uh, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Um, the, the, the thing that's very interesting about this is that the man who's replacing her is arguably as bad, if not worse. Uh, James Corden is hated in the UK. And I rarely say anything about another broadcaster. Very, very rarely. He's not a pleasant man. He just isn't. And and that's that. You can like A League of Their Own. You can like his show. Uh, he's a very good actor. But with him and Ellen, that point that you made about having to be on when you're on the air, 
you don't want to come on and, and bring your problems to a show. You don't want to come on and burden anybody. We're here to, to try and distract people and we're here to try and inform and entertain our audience. But we all have burdens and we all have issues. And I wonder if for a show like Ellen's, I think that's two hours a day, isn't it? Daytime TV. So, it's, so she's doing a two hour show five days a week. If the only way you can do that, doing that zany, quirky sort of nonsense, you know, coming out, dancing onto the stage like an idiot. If the only way you can do that and be super nice the whole way through is if you have been faking it all your life. That, that, that's the only way you can do a two hour show like that five days a week is that you have just been faking it the whole way through because nobody can be, can be like that. Um, and it, it's just, it's wild how, I mean, look, the whole cancel culture thing is not something I like. They came for Gina Carano, uh, Gina Carano the other day, because she was making a, a very valid point about love and they came for her. It's it's nonsense. But in, in terms of Ellen, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Uh, and she's apparently, from what I've heard, has treated her staff abysmally over the years. But it's an interesting time. It is. It's upsetting about Gina Carano. I, I'm a big fan of hers. Her her turn in in The Mandalorian, which I contend is one of the best things I've seen on TV. Agreed. Well, ever. Agreed. Uh, was fantastic. Hopefully, she'll be able to to beat back the oh she's the critics and the haters. she's she's dealt with it really well. I mean, she, what she did was she just took them on, and she's she's been able to identify that most of the people who are having a go at her are using uh, bot accounts. Yeah, and she's been able yeah. to identify all that. And look, she's Gina Carano. She would kick our asses left, right, and center. But she also <laughs> seems to be nothing but a decent person, and she uses her platform for good. And she was genuinely making a, a point about love, and somebody just took offense to it and went for her. It's it's wild. Um, I highly recommend. I got to catch up on all this stuff. All <laughs> I do, Emmett, is read form. I'm not I'm not into these pop culture uh, goings on on the social media. I need to now that I've said some you know things that could be considered uh, uh, in defense of somebody who sounds like they've done some things that are tough to defend. I'll, I'll read up on the story. To be so clear, prepared. Peter Fornital was not defending Ellen at all. <laughs> I just don't know the story. I mean, I yeah. I was defending the idea of a talk show host being a, a, a kind of a jerk and as a boss. I, yeah. That idea has been around as long as there have been talk shows. But I, I, you know, maybe there's some things in here that are rich too far. It's almost a given, I think, that uh, somebody who is a megastar like that might be a jerk. And then when you discover they're not, it's such a bonus. But when you hear what She's done. It's, ooh, dear, you know. Um, you mentioned The Mandalorian. So we're all trying to binge watch shows. I would highly recommend that as well on Disney+. Plus. Season two's coming out soon. I think it's September Please. or October, which is- I'm so glad they were able to finish it. I guess they just got it in the, sh the shooting under the gun. Yeah, I think they filmed the seasons back to back. I think that's what they did. Oh, okay. So they, they just, they're in, post-production is pretty much done. Uh, whereas the Marvel shows aren't, quite complete yet. They have to go back and, and do some other stuff. Uh, what else have you been watching or that you could recommend to our listeners in the UK and Ireland and indeed stateside? 
I, my watching has been extremely limited. So I did just start my third rewatch of Mandalorian just cause I can't, I can't get enough of it. It's like, great. It reminds me the, the, the being in that world is just so enjoyable to me and I'm noticing new things every time. And it reminds me of when I was a kid and my dad, my dad shot a TV pilot. I don't know if you, we've ever talked about my dad on the show, but he was, he was a disc jockey himself. Um, we talked about that, but pilot. not the TV yeah. pilot though. Well, it, it was shortly, I mean, it didn't go, it was, it was just a pilot, but he ended up like just obsessed with uh, various things on TV to like hone his uh, creative uh, acts or whatever you want to say that to mix a metaphor. But anyway, we had, we were like very, very early adopters of having a, a VCR and he somehow got like a, what must've been more or less of a bootleg Star Wars VHS tape uh, circa 1979 and uh and i must have watched it a hundred times so it's fun for me to get back into that rhythm of uh of just like watching watching a star wars show over and over gives me all the feels i absolutely love it but i did also recently do a full rewatch of mad men for uh just just rewatch that whole thing in order that was that was my that was largely my pandemic viewing and and that's another show that has aged very very well some fantastic character stuff and world building um i'm in that and then and then just to go completely left on you uh to go to another medium so you mentioned or i think we're talking off air about the future of cinema and the bummer of not having cinemas but they you know what they do still have drive-ins and there is a drive-in movie theater in in one town from Saratoga, the Malta Drive-In. So Susan and I went, my wife, went on a proper date the other night for a double feature of Grease and American Graffiti. Oh. And watching American Graffiti, a movie, we keep, I can't get off of talking George Lucas tonight. The <laughs> American Graffiti on the big screen for the first time in like on the car stereo through the magic of the drive-in was this is another movie I've seen maybe not a hundred but maybe fifty times, but I probably hadn't seen it in five years. Absolutely mind blowing. I've been meaning to write an essay about it. I have an essay clunking around in my head, actually comparing Star Wars and American Graffiti uh, that I think is going to be okay when I finally get the chance to sit down and do it. Probably needs to wait till after the Breeders' Cup at this point, but we'll see. Maybe I'll be inspired and, and I'll make sure to tag you on the post when it comes out. Oh, do, my friend, do. That's class. Uh, I'm glad that you're able to go to drive-ins. They're not really a thing here. There was one in, in Cork for a while. Um, but yeah, the whole cinema industry is, is it's, it's on its knees and there's no sign of them opening here. And even if they did, even if they announced tomorrow in Ireland that cinemas are opening, what's going to be in them? Yeah. You know, tenants not coming out. Christopher Nolan was holding tough. He was holding Warner Brothers hostage almost and saying, no, we're sticking with it. We're going to to July. All right, we'll we'll do it in August. It's gone. Uh, And who knows? Who knows? But um, I was saying to you that Disney Plus are going to release Mulan for $30, 30 euro, you can watch Mulan on pay-per-view on Disney Plus. You have to be a Disney Plus subscriber. And the theory is that they're going to do the same for Black Widow. So 30 bucks. That's a, that's, <laughs> so Disney want your first child and your kidney. And then you can watch Mulan whenever you want. That's aggressive, man. I could see 20. It's like you're still winning money as a, you're still ahead 
family of three having to watch at home, but don't we pay extra to go to the theater for the theater experience? Shouldn't it be discounted a bit, a bit more than them? I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be knocking Disney plus after the new design of our in the money podcast.com website uh, attempts pretty much directly to rip them off. So I, I shouldn't, I should keep my mouth closed, but uh, take that. I'm a, Bob Iger. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the service, but that's, that's aggressive. I'll tell you what, I will bet you if Mulan is at any theater, in New York, it might be this mall to drive in. I'll see if it's on the schedule. I'll let parents stay up way past her bedtime one night. And we'll watch Mulan down there for, you know, uh, whatever it is, 20 bucks for the car. And uh, we'll sneak in a bunch of delicious food too. Nice. Because the thing is, they, they released Trolls on demand and it didn't work. It didn't make anywhere near the money that they thought it would, Trolls 2. And Anna Kendrick and, and uh, Justin Timberlake were privately furious about the whole thing because they were going to get money on the back end of the box office. And then that's gone. Uh, so, and that was part of their deal. That was why they signed the contract they did. So it's a mess because all of these films now can't come out. And for the MCU, it completely distorts things because Black Widow ties into Falcon and the Winter Soldier and One Division. So those shows can't come out in Disney Plus till the film gets released. And when are cinemas going to be? That's a mess. It's a complete and utter mess. But here's a show to distract yourself. Chernobyl. Have you seen Chernobyl? I've heard it's amazing that I, I, one of the, I don't know if it was a writer or director or showrunner interviewed on one of my other favorite podcasts besides Final Furlong to listen to The Gist with Mike Pesca. And uh, it sounded like the level of detail just sounded unreal. And, and I'm very excited to uh, to get a chance to sit down and check that out at some point. So that's good. You're giving that, you're giving that a full push. How many episodes is it and how long are they? It's they now because it's Sky Atlantic. There were ads. It's probably an hour per episode, and there's only five. Gosh, not but, bad at all. That, you could do you could do that in a couple of days. Easy. Oh yeah, yeah. I did it in three days. It's a tough watch. It's not a pleasant watch. Just but, because of the the nature, uh, it, great storytelling, but just the the topic and the and the, the aftermath is is difficult. It's phenomenal storytelling, and even. The way they tell it's a not they do it nonlinear, and their use of cinematography to allow the pictures tell the story is so brilliantly done. And the acting from Emily Watson, Jared Harris, and Stellan Skarsgård is off the charts good. It is just it's on another level. And I didn't know as much as I should have known about the most devastating incident to happen in my lifetime uh, and and what was given and sacrificed to make sure it didn't wipe out a continent. It's an incredible story, powerfully told, it's compelling, it's dark, but it's, it's well worth watching. To distract yourself from that, Condor, season one, I haven't seen season two yet, so I can't attest to that, but it's Jeremy Irons' son, Max Irons. Uh, and it's great. It's absolutely brilliant. I really enjoyed season one. And The Expanse, seeing as you like The Mandalorian and like sci-fi, The Expanse is on Amazon Prime. Uh, I'd highly recommend that. It's really, really good. Um, I'm, after flying through season one, I'm into season two. So there you go. There's your, your watching brief to keep you entertained as we wait for Saratoga on Saturday. Uh, my friend, I hope all is well with you. I hope that um, things are going to calm down over there. I think that you're going to have another four years of Donald Trump, but four years of Donald oh, Trump might actually be better than four years of sleepy Joe Biden at the wheel. <laughs> 
Oh, stop with that. That's crazy talk. I, it's, I don't know. The betting markets tell a different tale and I'm hoping they're, I'm hoping they're right on this one, but you've, you've picked winning long shots before. So now you're making me sweat a little bit. 65% of Americans do not want to admit who they're voting for publicly, which means that 65% of people voting for Trump. And on that bombshell, <laughs> we're done. Uh, it's going to be some shock when the DNC announces that uh, actually it's Hillary Clinton who's going to be running for president and not Sleepy Joe. Uh, right. <laughs> I've gone down the American. I'm not, sure where, I'm not sure where you're getting your news these days. Now, oh. but I, might send you, I might send you some links. There's some movement. There's some movement. Uh, right, uh, Pete, enjoy the weekend, my man. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and uh, looking forward to chatting to you again soon. Cheers, my friend. This was great fun. Always fun talking racing with you and always fun going on wild down the rabbit hole uh, pop culture dives with you. Has to be Can't done. Wait to do it again soon. Has yeah. to be done. The In The Money Players podcast is essential listening for all things American racing. So make sure you check it out and the In The, In the Money Players podcast network as well, particularly that uh, interview between JK and Bob Barfoot. I'm off to listen to that myself. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. God bless. Will it happen or won't it happen? You can bet on it with the Betfair Exchange. Proud sponsors of the Final Furlong podcast. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheracers.com forward slash app for more details.